You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Good morning and welcome to First Christian. We are so glad that you are here and honored to get to join with you in worshiping God. Here at First Christian, we're a group of followers of Jesus. So we welcome you in if you're watching us on YouTube. If you're watching us later, we, we join with you wherever you are in, in collecting our worship together. And especially if you're here in the flesh today. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for your word. And we ask that you will open up our ears. Open up our eyes. So that we will not just read or see the word that we will not only hear the word of god but that your word will come with power with full conviction and with your holy spirit this is our prayer through jesus who lives and reigns with you and the holy spirit one god now and forever amen well many of you know that that i was born in colorado grew up in colorado And my dad had uh, his first ministry in Colorado and also in Oklahoma and Kansas and Nebraska until we came back to Colorado in middle school and high school. And I guess when you're young, you've, you've always got dreams. That's important. You should always have dreams. And my dream was to leave Colorado, go and get four years of of training and ministry and then return back to Colorado. Well, 20 years later, After ministering in Texas, we finally get to move back to the West. Now, you probably have dreams, especially if you're young. You're at the front of your life, so much to look forward to. Do not let anyone take away your dreams from you. Hold on to those. But others of you might be older. You might have some dreams and you look back and you think, well, yeah, I'd planned to do this. I'd hoped for this. Maybe a relationship that you counted on working out came unraveled. The career path that you originally started on kind of got redirected. And some of those dreams change and they're not what they once were. Today we're going to be looking at Paul's dream. We're going to look at what he was looking at and dreaming about late in his life when he got to that season of life with a lot of wisdom, a lot of maturity, and felt like he knew what God was calling him to do. But before I do that, before I jump to Paul's dreams, here at the end of this uh, series, I have to give you a review, right? How could we get to the end of this long letter and not give you with a simple, straightforward review of where Paul has traveled in this journey? So here it is. Paul writes, for the first time and only that we know of, to a church that he didn't start. They didn't know him. And he writes a long Christmas letter. Are you getting lots of Christmas letters now? You know the long ones that are pages and pages? This is one long letter. The longest one that we have anywhere in ancient Greek. Not just in the Bible, but anywhere. And he writes to them, kind of to introduce himself, but you know, he doesn't really do much to introduce himself. Instead, he introduces the gospel. He tells the good news story of what God has done in Jesus. So if you haven't already marked in your Bible, you should. You should mark Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, where he lays out this gospel. In those first 17 verses, it comes across clearly 
that God, in his power, chose to save everyone, the Jews and the Gentiles, that God has a plan to welcome in all so that they all feel like they belong. And he's done this plan through Jesus Christ, the Messiah, a plan that has shown that God is fair, that he's just, that he's righteous, and he gives this fairness, justice, righteousness to us as a gift. Through the faithfulness of Jesus, we're able to copy Jesus. We have faith because of the faith that Jesus showed. We can trust God, that God is faithful and just. Well, there's another one that you could mark. It's a really encouraging one. Romans 3, 21, down through verse 26, where we find out that this plan that God has was a plan that's not about perfectly following the law. It's not about following the law at all. In fact, it's about following Jesus, following this one who has faith. And Paul tells us the encouraging part that we all make mistakes, we all sin, we all stumble. And so in the same way that we've all kind of taken a step away from God, all of us, we have a way to step towards God A way to come to God in the same way, which is through faith in Jesus Christ. And God takes your life and the person sitting next to you and the one behind you and is wanting to put that life back together. Put that life together in relationship with God. Put your life in relationship together with other people. And so we can't really look at one another as an idiot. We can't look at someone as an outsider. We must look at them as God sees them, as children of God. So there you go. That's the review. That God has made this plan for us, all of us, to access the faithfulness of Christ through our own faith. Here's the problem. Why is Paul the one giving this story? I mean, of all the people to give this story... Paul, I mean, he's the hard-nosedest religious person that maybe we come across in Scripture, willing to kill people who weren't on his team. Why does God choose to use Paul? I mean, he's a Pharisee. Do you remember what Pharisee even means? To separate. To separate from others who are not as pure, pure and not as holy and not given to purity. So God gives this mission to Paul a mission of sharing the gospel, of welcoming all in the name of Jesus Christ. A stubborn, hard-nosed, very wise, very gifted person in Paul. A rule follower, a rule enforcer. And now he comes and welcomes Jews and Gentiles to serve in the same way. To welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed them. Well, the letter, as you know, we've gotten to the point where all the theological stuff, all the heavy things that he's talked about for 15 chapters is over. He's summarized what has been something of a theological manifesto, his kind of his last word and testimony. But the story, the together story isn't over because we get to that point of the Christmas letter that he's writing us where we find out more about the people. And you might expect me today to start calling out some of their names, like Paul does, like Phoebe. 
He tapped Phoebe on the shoulder and said, Phoebe, you're going to preach this sermon. You're going to preach the letter of Romans. She was the letter carrier. Or all the women that get mentioned in chapter 16. Leading women whose names come before their husbands because they're so significant. You might expect that I would spend time looking at that, but today that's not the story that I want to look at. I want to look at starting in verse 14 of chapter 15. I just want to read a little bit of this story. Romans chapter 15, starting in 14. Paul writes, I myself feel confident about you, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves, you're full of goodness and you're filled with all knowledge and you're able to instruct one another. Nevertheless, on some points, I have written you rather boldly by way of reminder because of the grace that's given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified in the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to boast of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to win the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, by powers and signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem, and far around is Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the good news of Christ. Paul, the stranger, the outsider, writes to this group of people, and he has to write as an outsider, and he says, you know, I'm confident in you. I trust you. You're full of goodness. You're able to teach one another, and I've just written you this little itty-bitty letter just to remind you of a few things, just so that you'll have it. He's taking a, a humble point and emphasizing that his ministry is one of supporting them. That his heart, the core identity that he has, is one of serving them. That he is serving them the gospel, verse 16. And so I kind of picture Paul kind of like Jesus. Do you remember how Jesus at dinner banquets would get down under the table and wash the feet of his disciples? Do you remember how Jesus would play that role of the servant? So I'm kind of picturing Paul in that regard, seeing his priestly service in this way. So here's what I want you to do. Think about yourself dressed up in priestly garb. I know we're all trying to figure out what to wear for Christmas, Christmas sweaters and things. Well, just full-on priestly garb with a big hat. And you're at a banquet and you're serving under the table. You're picking up crumbs, you're dusting people's feet off, and that's where you're at. Paul's priestly service is under the table. And he brings, I hope he washed his hands after picking up those crumbs, but he brings them the offering. And the offering is the Gentiles. Okay, wait a second. The Gentiles are the offering. Yes, the Gentiles are who he lays on the table as his offering, his sacrifice. Well, this makes me a little concerned where he says that they're the ones that are being offered. Well, the offering of the Gentiles we'll get to in a minute because we might be a little warm around the collar wondering what to do but Paul's Christmas letter unpacks some of this of what he's going to do of the people that he wants to come and see names of people that are Gentile and Jewish a church that he views as together a master class that he's provided in following Jesus and he gives them 
in his dusty priestly garb his dream. I told you that I'd tell you about his dream, and here it is. His dream shows up in uh, verse 24 and 25, on through 26. He tells them, here's what I want to do. I want to come and see you. I know I'm an outsider, but I want to come and visit. And then my plan is to go on to Spain, because no one has taken the gospel to Spain. Well, this all makes sense. In fact, I want to throw it up on on the screen for you so you can kind of see. You know, Paul is likely writing this uh, gospel from uh, Corinth. So if the map could be pulled up on the screen, it, you could picture where Greece is in the Mediterranean. And on this map, it shows a box. Can you see the box? So that's where Paul's writing. And he says, I want to come visit you up in Rome. We all know how to find Rome and Italy, right? They're in the boot, in the circle. And then I want to go on to Spain. And so this map has Madrid circled. Now that makes logical sense. He's going to move to the west and come and see them. But then he says, but first, I've got to go to Jerusalem. What? what? Why? Why is he going to Jerusalem? Jerusalem is all the way back. See the star there? So why would he be going back there before he goes to Rome and Spain. I mean, what, what, what does he think that the Mediterranean Harbor and Freight Company has like got a hub there? He's going to pick up some extra layover miles there? Is he trying to build up some aqua miles? His frequent aqua miles? I, I don't know what's going on. Why would he make this trip back to Jerusalem? I mean, if he goes back to Jerusalem, those people hate him. They don't like him at all. You'd name who they are, Jew, Gentile, anywhere in between. The Jews don't like him because they think he's a traitor. He's left the Jewish faith. He's left God. He's taken in with this Messiah, Jesus. The Christians in Jerusalem, they don't like him either. He killed some of their family members. He put him in prison. He was known for being this hard-nosed Jewish person. In fact, if you look at all of his ministry, he's kind of run from one town to the next town. He is something of a jailbird, beaten up guy. And then, if you get to what this collection is, the reason that he's going is that he wants to give some money to the poor Jewish Christians of Jerusalem. Well, okay, if he's taking a collection to Jerusalem, now we know why he's going. But even those Jewish Christians might say, I don't know if we want that money. That's polluted. That's tainted. That is money that comes from Gentiles. Because what Paul's dream is not just about a ship cruise. Paul's dream that summarizes everything together about what he's been doing is this collection. To take money from the Gentiles the Gentile Christians who are following Jesus and give it to Jewish Christians who are impoverished in Jerusalem. Because for Paul, this is his brilliant idea that he's not just going to talk about a together church. He's not just going to write a letter about a together church. Paul is going to put it into action through money and make this trip. But it's a risky trip. You know, if I call you up and I say, hey, look, there, there's some people that uh, hate you. They think you're religiously off. They really want nothing to do with you, but they're actually needy. Would you be willing to contribute? And you look and say, 
well, I mean, it is Christmas and all. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do a bank draft. I, I'm in the Christmas spirit. I'll give to these people. I said, great. So we do the bank draft, and thankfully we have the same bank. So it transfers instantly, and I'm to send the money off. So that's, that's kind of the same, right? You make a decision, you're going to help out. Well, no, not exactly. Because for Paul to do this means Paul has to make this difficult journey, and he can't just fly in a plane. He can't just carry his credit card. He has to carry this money. Jewels, valuables, gold, currency, whatever it is, he has to carry this on his body. So not only risk the physical harm of the trip, but risk being robbed, risk being taken advantage of along the way. And we've learned that he does, that even rulers want some of that money. It shows up in Acts. So this is Paul's brilliant plan to literally carry something that's not just a symbol. It's not just a nice Christmas card gift. It's putting his money where his mouth is. It's putting his life on the line. Can I get personal? How serious are you about this God business? How serious are you about letting God drive your life, be the director of your life, to lead you through the turns of this life? Whether you're a teen or a child or an adult, someone retired or middle-aged, an empty nester, how serious are you? Is God just a novel idea? Or is God someone that you are ready to commit to, to give your life to? Are we serious about going to God in prayer? Are we serious to seeking God in Scripture? Are we serious to where we will commit ourselves to service, committing ourselves to encouraging and building up the body of Christ? When I look at Paul, I see I've got room to grow. How about you? Someone who's willing to say, this church is together. Jew, Gentile, religious people, irreligious people, it's together. And Paul is willing to put his life on the line to make this dream happen. And so, in America, I think we could learn something from this because a lot of times we kind of expect the church to just kind of cater to us, to be something that's comfortable for us. And yet Paul calls us into this collection, into this gathering up of our money to serve people that may or may not like us and to do it in the name of God because that's what this together story is about, right? There's stuff for us to think about about what it looks like in our lives. Well, how did it work out for Paul? How did Paul's dream really pan out? We don't know because we just get this one side of the letter. Well, thankfully, we have other stories, right? We get some of the story. In Acts, you find the story of the church, of how things unfolded. And we learn that, that Paul did get to make it to Jerusalem. So he made the journey back. And he was able to deliver the contribution in Acts 24, 17. And other than that, things kind of didn't go exactly as planned. I mean, they would go as expected. I told you the list of the people who were on the Paul fan club back in Jerusalem. It kind of played out that way. He made the government upset. The religious leaders were upset. They all got him thrown in jail. 
He begins trying to plead his case, and they're like, no, you're worthy of death, say the religious people. And so, backed into a corner, Paul says, I appeal to the emperor. You remember his plan is to go to Rome? Well, there's more than one way to get to Rome. You could maybe go in a different boat, maybe a prison boat. So he says, I appeal to the emperor. And they say, all right, to the emperor you will go. And he's stuck in Jerusalem for a while. He gets to be entertained by other leaders who are quite interested in his money. <laughs> really. They're, they hear about this collection. And they say, you know, there's really nothing that you're, you should be killed for. We would have let you off. But because you've appealed to the emperor, to the emperor you'll go. And so Paul took the journey, the journey towards Rome that had lots of twists and turns. He nearly died many times, shipwrecks, and he finds his way back to Rome where he wanted to go. A few years probably to get to be in prison. And his life work of bringing this collection is about bringing a welcome to a group of people that includes all, the Jews and the Gentiles. That word welcome that shows up in chapter 14, verse 1, and 14, verse 3, and 15, 7, the one that I've said many times over the last few weeks, welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed you. You know that welcome? You know what it means? To eat with, to partake with, to sit down at table with. Paul's life work was about bringing the church together. And so when he pops up with something that seems to stick out like a sore thumb in chapter 16 of watch out for divisive people, watch out for opponents and those who will raise up controversy, we know what the controversy is, right? If you've been paying attention, the controversy isn't some doctrine. It isn't some difficult practice. If you look at all of Romans, the controversy is people that have too narrow of a welcome, who look at the weak and say, ah, they shouldn't be with us. Who look at the strong and say, I don't know, they're a little bit too full of themselves, too good for themselves, we don't need them. And yet Paul brings us all into this table fellowship and calls us together. The plan didn't work out exactly as he wanted. In fact, if you've read Acts, you know that there's a story that's not in Acts. Paul's death. There's also a story that's not in Acts, Paul getting to go to Spain, because he doesn't go to Spain. What's weird about that is that when Acts is written down, Paul was dead. He'd been long since beheaded by the emperor Nero, about 10 years after he wrote Romans. The story did not turn out like Paul planned, and yet we wonder why that's not included, why it isn't in there. Because God's mission continues. God's mission continues through people who understand the together church and who understand that even death cannot hold it back. I asked you about your dreams early on. I don't know how much you ran down that trail of what your dreams are. I don't know if you've thought about things that have worked out well or things that haven't worked out. Sometimes we think about those in terms of things that we might dream to do. And so if it's related to God, sometimes these fall into two categories. You know, yes, I want to do more. I'd like to serve more. I'd like to be able to be in deeper relationship with God in prayer. 
right? Sometimes it's things that we might want to do. Sometimes it's about the people in our lives where we think about, well, they don't know God. A friend, a family member, someone who's not had the easiest life. And so we think about these things and maybe it makes us squirm a little bit in our church, in our seats, as we wonder, how is our church to respond to a dream like Paul has? A dream where Paul fully committed to following Jesus. And even though it didn't work out exactly as he planned, God was able to turn that into great, beautiful things. You know, if Paul didn't have the dream to go to Spain, if he didn't have the dream to go to Rome, we would not have this letter. We would not have these words that pull together so much of what Paul and the other apostles had done and taught. So when we look at our lives, we have to wonder, what's next for us? What's needed for us? And you might even wonder, hey, what's next? If we're done with Romans, where are we going next? Well, I'll tell you what's next next. Because on January 15th, we're going to do something new. All of our small groups are going to be studying the same thing. We're going to go straight through the Bible in only 12 weeks. Actually, the Bible part of it is only 10 weeks. So if you've ever wondered how the whole story of Scripture fits together, then join a group or join us here on Sunday morning. We'll be working through a guidebook. We'll be looking at the story. And it won't be getting all the details of Scripture, getting lost in all the genealogies. We'll be looking at a very high level, seeing the main character of Scripture, which is God, and doing that together. In fact, even more than just those stories that we'll look at, we'll give greater attention to the stories of what's going on in our life right now. How our lives wrestle with following God and looking to God and wondering how it is we're to follow Jesus day to day. And we're going to see if those stories can connect together. So if you're someone that wants to go on that journey with us, you can sign up online through a group. If you're even wanting to, to just join a group or find a group, talk to me afterwards. I'm in this unmistakable red sweater today. You could find me, and we'll, we'll see how that goes. That'll be our journey beginning January 15th. And today, as we wind things up and bring them to a close, I don't know where you are in your dreams. If you're flying high right now, things are going well according to plan, you're checking things off, or you're getting things in order for what's next and how things are going to come together, or if you've had some bends and turns, some disappointments, some roadblocks, and you wonder, what am I supposed to do now? What I will tell you is don't stop dreaming. Paul laid his dreams before God. He laid them out there. And even though it didn't work perfectly, his plan of a collection, a gift to people that didn't like him, was something that had such significant staying power that it pulled the church together across racial lines, religious lines, ethnic lines, it pulled it together in a way that it's still struggling to be together today. And I can tell you with assurance that God can do more with your incomplete, unfulfilled, unfleshed out dreams. He can do more with that than he can if everything worked out perfectly according to all the boxes that you've checked. Because whenever you surrender your life, when you surrender your dreams to God, 
he brings it to his intention. He pulls it all together into this together story, knitting your life together with other people, bringing you to a place that you never could have imagined. For Paul, a prison cell in Rome, a place from which he was able to influence the world. So what will that look like for you? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of being able to follow Jesus. We thank you for stubborn, hard-headed, hard-nosed religious people like Paul, who in their boldness and being sold out for you, well, we just have a lot to learn. And Paul learned much. Thank you for the voice that you have given to him, a voice that by the power of the Holy Spirit echoes through the ages to us today. And Father, would you come by the power of your Holy Spirit to each one of us. Would you renew the dream that you have inside of us, a together story, to give us eyes to see our family this holiday season, to see even our enemies, our opponents at work in a different light, in the light of your together story. And we thank you for Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, the one who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.